welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Today, we actually be sipping on Awareness Coffee Co. It is their Peace Initiative blend. This is going to be our pride episode. So we figured that we would go with coffee roasters that support pride and have pride blended coffees. 50% of the profits Awareness Coffee Co. makes are given to nonprofits for LGBTQ+, such as the Trevor Project, Free to Love, and Out Alliance. So if you guys are interested, you can check it out. You can actually pick which kind of roast you like. So we got a medium roast and we got it ground because I don't have a coffee grounder. I know I say this every week, but thank you guys so much for continuing to support us and, you know, sharing us on your stories and sending, um, you know, our social media posts to your friends. That's been super helpful. We've been seeing a lot of people do that. So thank you so much. Like you guys don't even understand how much it helps. Just you guys telling your friends about it. We really appreciate it. Oh, and we just wanted to give a shout out to Miss Ashley Shellcross because she is my lovely friend. She's a beautiful, amazing human being inside and out. She's also a very talented hairstylist and she bought us coffees and we just wanted to thank her because she's amazing. And if you live in the Tampa Bay area and you need your hair done, go see her. Honestly, we'll, we'll just link you. <laughs> yeah, we can link website. her. We can link her. So yeah, thank you. And thank you for leaving us reviews and ratings. And if you want to get a little shout out and buy us a coffee, you can just go to buymeacoffee.com slash crime on caffeine. Yes. So as I stated, this is going to be an LGBTQ plus spotlight. Obviously, this is Pride Month. We decided this week we are going to raise awareness and bring you guys two episodes, uh, Monday, today, and Wednesday. Our cases are just going to involve victims that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Just to bring more awareness to the case, often cases that involve, you know, minorities, or those who are part of the LGBTQ+. They're often not as well known as other cases. So we just wanted to bring some awareness to, you know, the one that Allison's going to talk about today because I don't, I know of the case kind of because you've talked about it before, but I don't know the case. And then mine's going to be very important to the LGBTQ plus community. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know Erica's case, but I discovered this case because for a while I was doing some makeup and, you know, the whole beauty community thing. And honestly, I would have never even heard of this if it wasn't for being in the beauty community. I wouldn't have heard of it if I wasn't Linking up history of cannibalism on Wikipedia. Unfortunately, Erica was looking up the history of cannibalism. Spoiler alert: okay, there no. is cannibalism. No, I, it, it sounds weird. No, I was I was talking to I was talking to Ashley about mm-hmm. she's going to the mountains. We were talking about cannibals living in the mountains, and we were trying to find something. And I looked it up on Wikipedia. So, you know, never mind. So Erica's search history is a little bit stranger <laughs> than mine. Mine is makeup. Hers is cannibalism. <laughs> It's fine. Anyway, Jeffree Star, who, if you don't know, is a giant YouTuber, makeup guru, makeup brand owner. I learned about this case from him because he tweeted about it. That is how I know about the case of Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, not the actor. 
the hairdresser. Love me some Kevin Bacon. You do love Kevin Bacon, the actor? Yeah. What's he in? I don't know. He's in a lot of stuff. Really? Yeah, but you know what you would like that he's in? What? A TV show called The Following. Never heard of it. Anyway, back to not the actor, Kevin Bacon. The hairdresser from Schwartz Creek, Michigan. He stood over six feet tall, and he had a big, burly build. He had super fun colored hair and a style that didn't quite fit his small-town life. When I say small town, I mean like really small. He literally lived in a population of around 5,500 people town that spread across acres and acres of farmland. His friends said he would carry fun bags and flaunt designer sunglasses and shoes. Basically, he was a bright light in this little suburban land. I love that for him. I know. He sounds like somebody I totally want to hang out with. Wait, and where is this again? What? Michigan. Oh, okay. When Kevin was younger, he attended the local high school in Swartz Creek. He participated in band, and he was actually very smart. He finished top 10 in his class in 2013. But as I said before, his passion was hair, and he wanted to be in that field. As long as the people in his life could remember, Kevin always wanted to do hair. His mother, Pamela, even said that he started as early as the age of 12. He even styled wigs for one of his grandmothers before she passed away from cancer, which I thought was really sweet. He even told his mom at one point, don't worry, I'll make you look really pretty for your funeral. Oh my God. (laughs) Angel. (laughs) He was known for surrounding himself with a really great group of friends and even lived with his best friend since fourth grade, Michelle Myers. Michelle would let Kevin work on her hair as a test dummy for years until Kevin decided to drop out of Baker College, which was the local college there. A little tidbit here, he actually got into his dream college, which was Eastern Michigan University, but so sad he ended up not being able to go because he couldn't afford the $200 housing deposit. I mean, it's really sad. He was really smart. Anyway, he dropped out of college to pursue his career in cosmetology. The hair scene wasn't paying as much as he thought it would in the beginning, so he actually went back to college. (laughs) This time, he went to the University of Michigan, Flint. He did some hair on the side since he did love it so much and even took a job at the university's Center for Gender and Sexuality, which I thought was very fun and fresh. Kevin wanted out of a small town. Obviously, I mean, there was 5,500 people there. No offense to Swartz Creek. I feel like it's a great place, but (laughs) his dreams were just a little bigger. Mm -hmm. He had dreams of moving to Chicago, actually, after visiting his friend Kimberly there a few times and exploring the city's gay district, which was cleverly named Boys Town. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Have you gone to Boys? Have you gone? No. (laughs) Oh, well, can you go and tell me how it is? I want to go. Sure. I'm sure Nate would love it. I think he would. I know. In 2019, Kevin was actually at his lowest. He had always struggled with body image issues and depression. He had a few stints in psychiatric facilities to seek help. Um, Trigger warning, if you do not like listening about self-harm or if it is a trigger for you, I would just skip over about 30 seconds while I discuss what happened to him. He was categorized as an emotional eater and suffered with multiple eating disorders, such as anorexia, which is starving yourself, and bulimia, which is known as binging and purging, in case you didn't know. He would also self-harm, which included cutting himself on his arms and legs, as well as overdosing on pain medications and getting his stomach pumped. His roommate, Michelle, recalls a time that he cut himself so badly that you Mm -hmm. couldn't see his skin. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. When I read that, I was, it hurt me really bad. Throughout all of his depression, he would seek the attention of men through dating apps. Kevin would try to find men that he could quote unquote fix. An article from Rolling Stone said he would take them on as projects, but they were actually verbally and physically abusive towards Kevin and one even used him for rides, which I thought was just so rude. (laughs) Yeah. Who's just dating him so he could get rides? There's a different app for that. It's called Uber. (laughs) Like what? As you can tell, Kevin, although a very wonderfully smart, loving, and bright man, had his demons, as we all do. On the night of December 24th, 2019, he decided to go out and planned to quickly hook up with a man he met on the app Grinder. which if you aren't familiar with the app, it's basically Tinder or Bumble, but for same-sex, transgender, bisexual couples. He had been dealing with a family issue that night and just wanted to get out of the house. He basically was like, I'm not going if this one person is going. So toodaloo. The Nest doorbell at Kevin's apartment has footage of him leaving the apartment he shared with Michelle Myers around 5 p.m. that night and no footage of him returning. When Kevin didn't show up to celebrate Christmas Day, his family was immediately worried. This was not like him. It was actually Kevin's father, Carl, with a K, who decided to call the police and alert them of the situation. Everyone, his friends, family, the authorities, and even local news outlets searched for three days, checking every possible place they could think of, including the vast areas of farmlands that Swartz Creek was made up of. His friends from nearby cities even checked railways and bushes and really just anywhere out in the open or tucked away that he might possibly be. Kevin was not in a field or railway. He wasn't in a bush or wherever else his loved ones thought he was. He was strung up in the basement of a man named Mark Latunsky, his grinder date that evening, 20 miles away from any of his friends and family looking for him. I'm going to put another giant trigger warning here because this case is absolutely one of the most gruesome murders I have ever read about. I thought the toy box killer was really hard to stomach, but this is really, really bad. So I know I'm really sorry. It's okay. I was reading this case and I was like, Eric is going to be so pissed that I got to go over this stuff. (laughs) So please, 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 if you are not someone who needs to know every single detail about Mm -hmm somebody's murder. Skip this part for your sanity and your stomach, please. Kevin was found in a secret room in Latunsky's basement on December 28th in rural Shiawassee County. His body was hanging naked from the rafters by his ankles and his throat was slit. In the room, there were chains and sex toys along with an open trap door beneath his like body. In an article from WNEM, Mark Latunsky spoke of what happened that night leading up to his reasoning for murdering Kevin. He said that they were just lying on the ground and Kevin explained how he had been suicidal in the past. The discussion began about how he could make Kevin's body disappear. Latunsky said he stabbed Bacon in the back of the neck just below the hairline, but when he realized Bacon wasn't dead, he slit his throat because he didn't want Kevin to suffer. This is obviously really horrifying, but nobody really expected what was going to happen next. I don't want to talk about what happened next. (laughs) Mark Latunsky admitted to eating part of Kevin's body that night. 
Mm-mm. He claimed that it was a new moon, and he typically liked to eat Rocky Mountain oysters when there was a new moon, but he decided on this night to eat the testicles of Kevin instead. Was it like a, that there were no oysters, so that was like your second? Like, why, why is that his explanation that did not help? clear anything up. No, he said that there were oysters in his freezer and he decided to skip out on the oysters and have why why I there I have no I have nothing for you. I'm so sorry. He even took a photo of the occurrence which what? was later brought up as evidence. They confirmed they confirmed that this did actually happen by finding Kevin's DNA in the skillet that Mark used. Latunsky said that this was agreed upon between him and Kevin when they reached their suicide conclusion. We know this isn't true because, according to the Lansing Journal, the evidence showed that he took precautions to protect himself when he was going to meet up with Mark. The police recovered messages from Bacon's phone asking his date to confirm that if he went with him, he would be safe. Obviously, this is not safe. This is the opposite definition of safe. You are unsafe. This is bad. Very unsafe, I would say. He told Kevin that his body would not go to waste, and they agreed that he would use bone meal to plant tulips and he would use his intestines to grow chestnuts or peach pits is he okay i no Mm-mm. what i have a lot to say but i would i'd have to be bleeped so much <laughs> and like bad okay not only did he say that he was going to use the intestines to grow chestnuts or peach pits he said that he would also use his muscles to make jerky what the Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm almost done with this part. This is so bad. There's more. The U.S. Postal Service intercepted a package for Latunsky containing a dehydrator after the murder, which, if you don't know, a dehydrator is how you make jerky. So that was very much so his plan. Yeah. The police found Kevin's car in a parking lot in Clayton Township. In the vehicle, they found his phone, clothes, and the keys to his vehicle in a grocery bag in the back. Police found texts between Kevin and Mark from Grinder, which is how they ended up pointed to the direction of Mark Latuski's house. It was reported that Kevin stripped naked and put on a blindfold, earmuffs, ankle restraints, and wrist restraints upon meeting Mark in the parking lot. Mark Latunsky, who was 50 years old at the time, was arraigned on December 30th on one count of open murder, which, if you don't know what open murder is, is a combination of first and second degree murder. Yeah, the jury determines the appropriate degree based on, like, the proof. And one count of disinterment slash mutilation of a dead body according to 66 district court documents. Latunsky made his appearance over video instead of in person. And the weird part is, I mean, not that anything that I literally just (laughs) said was not weird. According to WILX, the man on the video said he was not Mark Latunsky. He said that his name was Edgar Thomas Hill. Okay. And that Mark Latunsky was actually his nephew. What? So I don't know who the <laughs> who the heck in heck this man is. But the district court judge, Ward L. Clarkson, ignored this and continued on with his arraignment. 
Kevin's father, Carl, later said the police have definitely identified who he is and they've dealt with him in the past. And this is the same person they arrested on site and he has not left their custody at all. So he is Mark Latinsky. I don't know where he got Edgar Thomas Hill from, but. He really thought he did something. He did. He was like, oh no, that will work. That was not me. That was my nephew. The police had, in fact, dealt with Mark Lachunsky in the past multiple times. They responded to an incident on November 25th of that same year when a 29-year-old man ran from Lachunsky's home wearing nothing but a leather kilt that looked very similar to the one Lachunsky answered the door in. In Kevin's case, the man literally was running down the road with just blood running down his face and a leather kilt. So that young man said he did not want to press charges, though, which I found super suspicious. Like, what did Mark Latunsky say or do that would cause that man who was clearly held against his will in a leather kilt and (laughs) blood running down his face to not press charges? Question mark. Mm. Big, bold question mark. Mark Latunsky was also charged with custodial kidnapping in 2013, but according to WLIX, it was dismissed after many different competency hearings. Then there was 48-year-old James Carlson, which happened only six weeks before the 29-year-old. James alleges he took a bus to Michigan from his home in Suffolk, County for consensual erotic activity, which was BDSM. If you don't know what BDSM means, bondage, discipline, dominance, submission. But not with Latunsky. He was going to be with Latunsky's husband, Jamie Arnold. He had a husband? Mm. <laughs> Did he? But he ended up tied up. He ultimately escaped. Carlson's attorneys said that initially, He didn't want to press charges either. Why? That's what I'm saying. Makes no sense. As I stated above, for some reason, people just say they're not going to press charges against this man, even though he's a real messed up dude. But as of June 2020, James was seeking damages for more than $75,000 in a lawsuit that he filed with the district court in Detroit. Carlson met Arnold online in October, but when Carlson arrived at the bus station, Latunsky was the one who picked him up instead of his husband. Carlson fell asleep in the car, and when they got to Bennington Township, which is where Mark Latunsky lived, Latunsky told Carlson that his spouse had moved out. Wouldn't you tell him that when you picked him up at the bus stop? No? Hmm. Eyes emoji. Literally. Eyes emoji. In the home, the 50-year-old retrieved locks, chains, and leather straps and tied Carlson down in the basement. Lachunsky told the plaintiff he was going nowhere, and then he went to bed. After Carlson thought Lachunsky had fallen asleep, he cut himself loose from the straps with a butcher knife, found his cell phone, and left the home running down the street and calling the police. It's very unclear where the knife came from. Somehow he had a knife and got himself loose to escape while Lachinsky was sleeping, but... He strapped. He do. He stayed strapped with the knife and got out. The police questioned Carlson and took him to a near gas station. 
Carlson then made his way to the bus station, but his ticket was not good for another week, so with no money and nowhere to stay, are you ready? Maybe. He called Latunsky, who persuaded him to return to the home. He said that it was just a misunderstanding. The whole situation was just a misunderstanding, and he, he could come back to that house. This dude is literally insane. That's why he didn't press charges, yeah. because he was being manipulated by Lechinsky. So now you know of the crimes that came before. In the article about this case on the Lansing State Journal, the Shiawassee County Prosecutor Scott Corner said, this is a case that should have only existed in the pages of a horror book. I agree. I also agree. Scott Corner, you said it right. Mm-hmm. In February of 2020, the State Center of Forens- for Forensic Psychiatry found him incompetent to stand trial. Douglas Corwin Jr. was the public defender for Mark Lutunsky, and he continues to try for the insanity side of this situation and said he plans to perform another competency evaluation. However, Shiawassee County District Judge Ward Clarkson ruled in October of 2020 that Latunsky was mentally fit to stand trial in circuit court on charges of murder and mutilation of a dead body. Latunsky's attorney, Doug Corwin, asked the judge to add a charge of assisted suicide since the toxicology reports showed an antidepressant was in Kevin's bloodstream. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. But according to the state law, defendants cannot add on charges, so the judge denied his request. Oh, damn. In addition to the DNA found on the skillet. Sorry, I'm just thinking about how like insane that is. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. So, in addition to the DNA found on the skillet, which we already went over, we don't need to talk about it again, Detective Moore also revealed to the courtroom the suspected murder weapon was a knife found in the dresser drawer of Lechinsky's bedroom. Rebecca Ray from the state po- police is how I was going to say that. The police. <laughs> oh, dang police. Oh, my God. The state police forensic lab. <laughs> Rebecca Ray from the State Police Forensic Lab said it is 470 trillion times more likely the DNA on the swabs from the handle of the knife came from Mark Latunsky. How did she come up with that number? I don't know. That's a big old number. <laughs> number. Like, we get it. Those are his. <laughs> you could have said, like, they're just 100% yeah. his. <laughs> 470 trillion times more likely. Dr. Patrick Hansma, a forensic pathologist, said Kevin's cause of death was blood loss due to sharp force injuries to his neck. So the slit to his throat was what did it? Like knives. For some reason, knives are like it makes me like it just seems worse to me than a gun. For some like I just Mm -hmm. I don't. mm, Oh my god! I literally just got the chills. Oh my god! It freaks me out, especially. No, no, no. I can't. This is why, like, when it comes to guys and their throats, because, like, they have, like, the, like, just, oh, my God, I can't. Have I ever told you that my friend Pat has, like, the most biggest fear of being, like, slit in the throat? And if you even go to, like, tickle him in the throat, he, you ever seen one of those Gatorade bottles that's, like, crooked at the top? (laughs) 
Yeah. That's literally, I send him that all the time because he literally, he's so weird about uh, his throat I would be that too, he just right? is like this uh, all the time. No, no, no. Crooked Gatorade bottle cap. I would be the same. So it's a thing. People have that fear. <laughs> I do have good news. The trial is set to begin in July 2021. I'm sure that's like next week. He is facing life in prison. Because of COVID, they had anticipated it might be pushed back towards March, April, or May. So I'm glad they finally said July, which is like now, basically. So I will 100% have an update for all of you sometime soon. I know Kevin deserves justice, and I'm just glad that we're hopefully going to get some soon. The last information I could gather before they determined his trial date was that the forensic center was performing the evaluation regarding insanity at the time of the offense and that there is a possibility of not having a trial if the forensic center found that Latinsky was insane at the time of the offense. So I'm glad that, you know, we are going to get a trial. Because such a finding would negate a jury trial unless a prosecutor decided to go forward with one. Corwin, who is Latinsky's public defender, said that the defense would enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity and Latinsky would be hospitalized. Kevin's father, Carl, wants nothing less than life without possibility of parole for Mark Latinsky, which I believe is fair. He is fully aware of the psychological evaluations going on and even stated in M Live Michigan that Latinsky will try to, quote, play the crazy card again, unquote. So again, he will be standing trial soon and interested to see what happens. I'm so interested to see what happens because he clearly has some type of mental situation going on. So there was a big possibility there for a while that they were not going to be able to put him on trial, but they going to do it. <laughs> he is facing life in prison. So you know how you asked me, oh my God, he has a husband. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about him for a second. <laughs> Latunsky's estranged husband, Jamie Arnold, spoke out after he found out about Kevin's death. He told WJRT that he became a target on social media after the incident, even though he left Latinsky months ago. That's not his fault. I know. He said that he was accused of being an accomplice in all of it. Speaking of social media, as I said before, the reason I even found this case in the first place is because I was in the beauty community or beauty world, whatever. And I happened to follow Jeffree Star at the time. Kevin was a really, really big Jeffree Star fan. And he even had tattoos of Jeffree Star and Trixie Mattel, who I'm also a fan of. And Jeffree Star actually had a home in Michigan at the time too. So I'm I'm assuming he heard about it that way as well. But he, like a bunch of people were reaching out to him on Twitter, asking him to like help kind of, or maybe even just bringing awareness to the case. Mm -hmm. And he graciously donated $20,000 to his funeral after finding out that Kevin was a huge fan of his. The actor, Kevin Bacon, who we already talked about, Mm -hmm. actually posted his condolences about his death, obviously due to the similarities in their name. I love that guy. There was a good amount of media coverage on it. I know there's um, an article done by Rolling Stone. There were a lot of like Daily Mail and things like that, but like bigger, more pop culture based outlets that did cover it. And I don't know how I had not heard of it before mm-hmm. yeah. the whole Jeffree Star thing. And then when you said that you hadn't heard of it, I was like, what do you mean? There's been coverage on this from what I read. 
In December, family and friends of Kevin went to Flint Rock to paint a mural in his honor since it was the anniversary of his passing. They had done the same thing about a year before that. They made like colorful rainbows and a portrait of bacon with his trademark purple hair, which I love. I always think that I'm going to dye my hair purple. Maybe I will. Do it. In honor of Kevin. Do it. This year, they added his name, which I'm really hoping that they continue to like make this a tradition. Yeah, and I like what they do like a little bit every yeah, year. Yeah, that's what I wrote. Like go there every year and commemorate him and just add something else that reminds them of mm-hmm. Kevin. I thought that was very sweet. Kevin's best friend and roommate, Michelle Myers, told Rolling Stone that she'll never forget the week she gathered tons and tons of people to search for her vivacious, loving, and compassionate friend. They were all, you know, hoping for the best and experiencing the worst. So that was really hard to read, especially from his best friend since like fourth grade. She said, I'm still getting flashbacks to last year when we were all out searching. Christmas will always feel weird and hopefully it will get better. I think like I forget that as I'm reading the case. This happened literally on Christmas Eve. His family had to call oh the police on Christmas. Yeah, I, oh, every time it's something that happens on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, I just such a happy time in people's lives and more yeah, horrible. so sad. So this isn't really a profile because I mean this man is clearly a cannibal and a sexual sadist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you could have just been like, okay, that's it, and gone away. But I did find some information. I learned that Mark Latunsky was actually once a family man, married to a woman, and had four children. Until he received a diagnosis on two separate occasions in 2010 and 2012, he was determined to have, quote, severe, recurrent, and chronic major depression with psychotic features, adjustment disorder with depression, and anxiety with paranoid schizophrenia, and borderline personality traits, according to court records reviewed by the register. His ex-wife claimed that he refused to take medication, and when he was off of it, he would act erratic. What she means by this is he frequently was watching torture films and threatening to get rid of his children's animals. Why? Like animal cruelty. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like get rid of like, them. No. I thought you were talking about stuffed animals. No, I'm talking about like getting rid of them, yeah. quote unquote, murder yeah. of animals. Yeah. According to MLive, Mark Latunsky's behavior began to spiral that February after he was fired from his job making lubricants for American chemical technologies. Weird fact about Mark Latunsky, he was like incredibly intelligent. He was like a chemist and like real smart. brother. Yeah. Anyway, his ex-husband stated, to my knowledge, he was fired due to erratic behavior at work. He was accusing his place of employment of contaminating the products he would make. Okay. So this is the part where his paranoid schizophrenia yeah. comes into play. He mentioned multiple times that he thought things were being poisoned. There was the accusation at work. Then he accused the neighbors of polluting his water supply. <laughs> and he accused his ex-wife, Emily, and her brother of trying to murder him by putting poison in his well. Part of me looks at this case and says Mark is clearly insane and needs to be put on medication and should be in the psych ward for the rest of his dang life. But there's another part of me that is really glad that he's standing trial and 
hopefully going to be put in jail for the rest of his dead gum life for what he did to not only Kevin, may he rest, but the other two men that were very coherently kidnapped and tortured as well. Anyways, I wanted to do this because although it did get a good amount of media coverage that I spoke about already, it really, I haven't seen it on very many crime podcasts. I haven't seen it in the crime community really at all. And there's so much more information about, you know, who Kevin was as a person and how he dealt with his demons and, and how he kind of lived his life. And it really makes you sad for all that he went through trying to find himself in a small town as an LGBTQ plus person. That is why we are bringing awareness. Honestly, his death will never fully feel real to his family. That's what they've been saying. And I agree. It's just like an unfathomable situation. I cannot, I cannot even begin to process what they have went through. So this brings me to a PSA. Please, please, please look out for your friends. Dating apps and meeting people online is so common these days, but you really never know who's on the other side of that screen. His friend Michelle has taken action with Grindr and Tinder to make sure they're continuing to look into making their apps more safe, which makes me really happy because she's taking a situation that, you know, has changed her life and that's probably very terrible for her to relive and, you know, hoping that other people don't have to go through that. If you're going on a date with someone you've never met off a dating app, have your friends go to the same place. Do not have them come over. Do not go to their house. Share your location. Yeah, oh my gosh, please share your location. Well, thank you so much for listening to our LGBTQ plus spotlight to round out Pride Month. To everyone who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, we want you to know that we support you, we celebrate you, we love you, and we're always here for you at Crime on Caffeine. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Keep an eye out for my episode coming out on Wednesday. And uh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Subscribe, follow, leave a review, leave a rating at Crime on Caffeine, crimeoncaffeine.com. All right. Well, we will be back on Wednesday with Erica's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.